before you sit down, please just uh, turn to somebody else and offer them a blessing in the Lord in some way. So glad that everyone's here today. For Jesus, Good Friday was the most painful taken by his dearest friends. Jesus was convicted of false charges at a false trial. And then he was blindfolded, he was mocked, and he was beaten in a courtyard. Then he was handed over to the Romans. And the Romans took him and they brutally whipped him with a cat of nine tails. And on the end of these nine tails was bone chips that when it struck his body, it tore his flesh from his bones. Jesus was then stripped and mocked and forced to wear a crown of thorns that was jammed into his head. And he was beaten on his head with spears so that blood would be flowing down his face from the thorns. Then Jesus would be made to carry his own cross. But he was in so much pain and so much exhaustion that he could not even carry his own cross the whole way as he stumbled along the way. And when he got to the place where they were going to crucify him, they crucified him on a cross and they drove nails through his hands and through his feet. And even on the cross... God's son, the messenger of God's love, was insulted and rejected. And truly for the many sins, for those who put Jesus on the cross and for those who tortured Jesus the way they did, truly they deserve death from Jesus' father, God, who in an instant could take their life and wipe them out. In but an instant it would take God to do this. But Jesus' first words on the cross was a prayer to his heavenly Father to not have them put to death for the consequence of their sin, but to be forgiven of their sin. And he said as he's on the cross, his very first words were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even with the most grievous sins against Jesus and that which would cause him the most pain and the most suffering. Jesus took this moment in time and he interceded for these great sinners as we are as well. He interceded for them before his father and he, he begged, he requested a pardon of forgiveness for them. And that forgiveness was granted by God because those Lives were spared that very day. Consider the forgiveness of Jesus upon your own life. Forgive, consider the many sins of rejecting God's Son and committing our own many sins 
And in committing our sins, and in continually committing our sins, we would have crucified the Son of God over and over again. For you see, rejecting Jesus is sinning against God and calling God a liar because God sent His Son and proved who He was, that He would be your Lord and Savior, that He would be your salvation. But when you reject Him, you're spitting in God's face and you're calling Him a liar. So what is the wage for our sins? The wage for our sins is death. But the gift that Jesus paid for on the cross is to have our sins forgiven and to be given eternal life if we should receive that gift. Each day that we live, each breath that we take is a gift of grace. It is an earthly pardon from God for the consequence of our sin. It is another day for us to come to Jesus and accept Him as Lord and Savior. And if you have not done this, May today be the day of your salvation. And if you were to do this, if you were to repent of your sins, confess them and receive Jesus as Lord, then when you go into eternity, Jesus will stand with you in eternity and say to his heavenly Father, Father, forgive them, for they belong to me. The cross has paid their price. The cross has made their payment. Their payment was paid by me. And their faith in me brings forgiveness and salvation for them for all of eternity. Well, good evening, my brothers and sisters. It's truly an honor to bring a short message from God's Word tonight. I do want to thank John for putting all this together. John, we couldn't do this without you, to be perfectly honest. Tonight we're going to look at the penitent thief, or the criminal on the cross. A very popular story with implications that are so widespread, we could not even touch the surface at this point. But we can certainly glean some valuable information from these verses. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 23, Verse 39, but we're going to back it up to verse 33 to start. So Luke 23, starting in verse 33. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him, which read, This is the king of the Jews. And here we are at verse 39, where our story starts. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Are you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for what we are getting, what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's just have one moment of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for this story. 
the implications are so profound, allow us to touch on a few points and bring away something from this story that will change us to be more like Jesus. In his name, amen. Wow, what a story. Talk about deathbed conversions. This guy was on his literal deathbed. But what we notice is a couple of very interesting things from this. Verse 39, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. And verse 42, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What's interesting is both criminals are crying out for help. The first one, save yourself and us. The second, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The interesting thing is the first one does so out of unbelief because in all likelihood, when he came down, if he was being rescued from the cross, he'd go back to his life of crime. And that's the save us, what he was looking for. Well, the other does so out of faith that Jesus can save him towards an, a heavenly kingdom, which the first one acknowledges no wrong and criticizes Jesus, but the second acknowledges his guilt and Jesus's innocence. The first guy wants to be freed so he can resume his life of crime in all likelihood. But the second asks Jesus to remember him so that when he comes into his kingdom, really this is a more significant vision of salvation. But what happens? The first receives nothing, but the second received all that he asked. Verse 42, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, this is an astonishing statement by a criminal who's about to die. What kingdom? Well, how did he even know that Jesus was going to a kingdom or Jesus was a king? Well, some commentators are saying that there's a very good possibility that this man had seen or heard Jesus, or at least he heard about him from a friend or a family member who testified about Jesus. Maybe the friend, the friend brought him to see Jesus and say, oh, you got to see this guy. He's doing miracles, talking about a kingdom that he's... And maybe these words got planted in this man's heart that God kept tucked there until this very time and brought them to fruition. And it just goes to show you that a word of testimony, a word about Jesus, a, a verse is so valuable that God can use it years later. And some commentators say that this very thing happened, that this guy would have no other way to know that Jesus was a king and had a kingdom unless someone told him about it. And it goes to show you that we do planting and watering, but God brings the increase and we actually never know if that increase comes and when God chooses to do so. And finally, Jesus says, assuredly, in verse 43, assuredly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Wow. What a statement from the one who is actually freeing him from his sins at this very moment. Jesus, Godhead ability and his deity is the only one allowed to forgive this man's sins. And he does so. And he's doing it on the very day, in the very moment, he's actually paying for the man's sins. Holy cow, that is phenomenal and awesome. So let's just have a quick word of prayer and thanksgiving. God, this is phenomenal. God, you, you forgive our sins, you pay the price, and you illustrate it in this story that even at the last minute, there's hope. We do so thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. As you see from John 19, 26 and 27, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved 
standing nearby. He said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, who was John, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus is on the cross at this time. And he's facing unbelievable torture and pain in his body. He's already faced it. And he continues to face it. Then being nailed to a cross and having blood spilling out from his face, from the thorns that are jammed in his, in his head. He, he has swollen and battered eyes because for sure the Romans enjoyed beating his face. And Jesus looks down from the cross and he sees his faithful, beloved mother, Mary. And he sees his faithful, beloved apostle, John. And as he looked down with the weight of all the sins of all of us on that cross, the world was crushing him. The sins were crushing him. And yet Jesus, our wonderful and caring Savior, he looked upon his mother and he gave us a lesson of how valuable each person is, how valuable you are to the Lord. Because the scripture would say, and Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, that God knows he cares about the very hairs on your head, and he has them numbered. And for his mother, for his mother, he would look down upon her, and he would know that she needed something from him. And she would need to know how valuable she was to him. So Jesus would provide the gift for her of a spiritual son who would care for her for the rest of her life. Jesus would have her physical needs met. She would, he would have for her always to be in a home for her to live in and be cared for by a spiritual family. Because in Jesus' time, when a woman was by herself, she could be left destitute with no one to care for her. Jesus took care of that on the cross. Jesus would provide for her a church where her faith would grow and be sustained and where she would always be loved and protected and comforted and strengthened and encouraged. Does not your church do, do that for you as well? Amen. I pray that it does. Jesus knew his mother. And Jesus knew that his mother had treasured in her heart who exactly Jesus was. And she knew who Jesus was. She knew that Jesus was God's son. She knew that he was Lord of all. She knew he was Savior of the world. She knew that this day would come. But she also knew that he was her baby boy. And today was the darkest of days for her. The darkest hour in her life would be this very day where she would see her son on that cross in that tortured state. She would see that her son was dying for the sins of the world. And yet in her darkest hour, she watched him and she was there. She wanted him to know that she was there, that she would always love him and stand by his side in his life and even after his life, she would do this. And Mary's eyes never left her son. 
and she hoped to give him strength and to assure him that he was loved. Jesus would look at his mother and give her that exact same love in return. Jesus would, from the cross, provide comfort and strength to endure not only this moment in time that she had to, she had to watch this happen, to not only give her comfort in this time, but to give her strength and to provide joy for the rest of her life. Jesus doesn't always take the pain away in the moment. Sometimes the pain even lasts a lifetime. But Jesus provides the encouragement and the strength to see it through. And he promises that he's always there for you. And he'll provide people to be there for you. And Jesus knew that John, his beloved friend, was that person. And it was a gift to him as well that he should have a mother and the mother should have a son. Jesus provided for her mother a spiritual son and a spiritual family in the early church. In Acts 1.14 it says, They, being the church, all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They were all together in this church. Consider how much Jesus loved his mother and provided for all of her needs. And he even provided for her a spiritual son and a spiritual family to care for her. How valuable she was. How valuable you are to the Lord. Jesus died for your sins so that you could live with God in eternity in heaven. But how great the love of Jesus is for you. That Jesus has not only saved you for eternity. But he has given to you a spiritual family for you to come to and to be encouraged and to be strengthened and to be comforted and to pray for you and to help you to grow in your faith. Jesus knew he would never leave you alone, that he's always with you. He never forsake you. But he wanted you to know a very practical and earthly truth that he would bring you to a church family. And this is your church family. And you are always welcome here. But always remember the love of Jesus and what Jesus did for you. What he did for his mother on the cross, he has done for you as well. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving me and for loving you in every way. Every way. As we continue to look at the events surrounding the crucifixion of Jesus, we turn now to Mark chapter 15, verse 34. Let's read it. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's pray for a second. Lord, we're not sure exactly what's happening here, but we ask you to teach us a lesson from these verses, Lord, so we come away with something that would make us more like your son. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, 
you can't look at this verse without wondering what's happening here. Why is Jesus being forsaken? What is the theological implications of this? And I believe that they are so deep and profound and uh, scholars have written about this for centuries that it would be very difficult for us to unpack them right here. But let's look at some of the things we do know. This is a direct quote from Psalm 22, verbatim. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Jesus quoting the Old Testament Psalm really solidifies this verse for, as a messianic verse, messianic Psalm, in fact. Notice also uh, that the other times that Jesus prays in Scripture, he refers to God as his Father. You'll never see Jesus say, my God, except in this one case. This is illustrative of the fact that the intimate relationship between God and Jesus, which in the Godhead, which is very complicated to understand, is strained. My father, my father is just such an intimate, close relationship, but my God is more distant. And some scholars point this out as the only place where Jesus speaks to God as God, not as father. It's difficult to understand in what sense Jesus was forsaken. It's certainly that God approved his work. It's certain that Jesus was innocent. He had done nothing to forfeit the favor of God. And as God's son, holy, uh, undefiled, and obedient, God still loved him. So in none of those senses could God have forsaken him. But yet Jesus not only felt abandoned and was forsaken because scripture predicted that. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The NIV makes it a little clearer. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a pole. So this is what transpired at the cross. The sinless one who was made sin and the full hammer of God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. What does that all mean? How do we understand that? What can we take away from that? And would we ever fully understand the theological implications between God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and how this plan of God's before the foundation of the world to see fallen man remedyless, hopeless, without a plan to rescue them, without sacrificing God's justice and literally holiness, but showing mercy on those he chose a people out of and allowing all that to work together. God came up with this plan that he would sacrifice his son told right from the very beginning of Genesis that this was the plan that God had to pay the penalty that he himself had extracted. And this is not a story that could have been made up by mankind. This has to be a godly story. The wisdom of this is so profound. And we see literally the Son of God being forsaken by God the Father in this case where Jesus is turned into, or literally is turned into a curse 
and turn into our sin, which is incomprehensible. So what do we take away from this? Well, it's difficult. I mean, these volumes have been written about this, and there is much confusion as to what it means. But what we do know is that the seriousness of sin, the consequences of sin are dire. And the, the existence of hell and the punishment that God had to endure this to keep us from must be unimaginable. So when we think of what we were spared from, we see the remedy of the cross as the only cure. We can only imagine the dire, terrible nature of the penalty we would have suffered. And for that, God, we are eternally grateful. Let's pray. Lord, you spared us from this, but you did not spare your own son. We do so thank you, Lord, and will into eternity. In the name of Jesus, amen. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a hyssop, and put it to his mouth. Jesus has been on the cross now for nearly Six hours in excruciating pain. As every time that he took a breath with his lungs filled with air, every time he took a breath, there was pain. His lungs were collapsing. His hands and his feet would tear from the nails every time he breathed. And every time he breathed up and breathed down, he ripped his back open from the wood of the cross. And in the beginning of the crucifixion, as was shared before, Jesus was offered wine which would have mirth in it, mirth, mirth in it. And this would be a, a, a pain-killing agent that would be able to ease the pain. They were offering him a drink to ease the pain. But he refused that first drink. Jesus would need a clear mind and as much energy as he could muster so that he would complete his sermon on the cross, so that he would be able to minister to others, to forgive others even from the cross, to grant salvation to a repentant thief, to comfort his mother, and to take all of our sins upon his own body. The sermon still needed to be told, and the work of salvation needed to be accomplished in completing God's plan on the cross. So Jesus didn't take that first drink. But now that all the ministry and the purposes have been fulfilled, Jesus expresses his earthly thirst as to assure that he would let us know that he was a man who was enduring every ounce of the excruciating pain of being crucified. That he was a human man who was going through this there was no there was no easy path for the son of god in the crucifixion jesus 
thirst was a reminder that he was fully man as well as being fully God. And in this, in this time, imagine this, that in the six hours on the cross and the time that he was tortured by the Romans and the time of the trial before that, he probably didn't drink or eat anything. So now, to fully complete the fulfillment of Scripture and to gain an ounce of relief, Jesus says, I thirst. And by doing this, he, he fulfills Psalm 69.21 and Psalm 22.15. Psalm 69.21 said, They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Psalm 22, which comes from the Psalm of the Cross, Verse 15, my mouth is dried up like a potsher, and the tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. So Jesus says, I thirst. And the Roman, so the Roman soldier, he takes a sponge, and he places it on a hypsop branch, a hypsop pole. Hypsop was made for a cleaning agent in a house. He takes the sponge and he places it on this cleaning agent, this pole. And he takes sour wine and he fills the sponge and then he lifts it to the, the Savior's mouth so that the Savior would drink sour wine and hyssop as his last drink. We now come to the sixth words Jesus uttered from the cross. John 19.30 reads, When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. But what exactly was finished? And what did Jesus mean by that word, finished? Well, you know, when I was a new Christian back in like the 1980s, I thought Jesus was meekly saying, my life is over and I'm ready to die. But in fact, that is not at all the case. To better understand what it is, we need to understand why Jesus came to earth. That is, we need to understand what Jesus came to accomplish. Scripture makes it clear what it is. John 1.29 says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world Luke 19.10 reads, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Mark 10.45 reads, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 1 Timothy 1.15, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. 1 John 3.5, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. So if I'm going to summarize these verses, we can say that Jesus came to earth to give his life as a ransom, to save his people, that's us, from their sins. We also need to understand what does finished mean. The word finished comes from the Greek word telos, which means end. The words completed, finished, 
accomplished descend from this word. By dying on the cross, Jesus finished, completed, accomplished what he had set out to do to save his people from their sins. We also know from scripture that Jesus had a clear view of what would happen to him. He used a metaphor to drink the cup to represent the horrific suffering he would endure for us. When James and John asked Jesus to let him sit, let them sit on each side of him in his glory, Jesus replied in Mark 10:38, "Can you drink the cup I drink?" As Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane the night before his crucifixion, Luke 22:42 tells us one of Jesus's prayers. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. When Simon Peter cut off the right ear of the high priest's servant, Jesus rebuked him. John 18.11 says, Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? The cross in all its horror and its redemptive power to bear the sins of the world hung heavily on Jesus during his last days in the flesh. His struggle at the Garden of Gethsemane was the climax. This was the point at which he surrendered ultimately to the Father's will. So Jesus was willing to drink the cup, to endure tremendous pain and suffering, to accomplish the Father's will. And now, the cup has been drunk. The sins of the world, of those who believe in him, have been taken away. Those who were lost have now been found. The life of our Lord and Savior was given up as a ransom to pay the price for our sins. We sinners have been saved for all eternity. This sacrifice is final and never has to be repeated. It is finished. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for finishing it, because it is finished. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness all over the earth, Until the ninth hour, the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus' whole life, his whole purpose, was to do the will and the work of his Father, God. Jesus had, in his life and in his ministry, he had provided the perfect example of how to be right with God. He'd given to us all that we needed to know of God and to be his God's child. How to walk in his presence and how to receive salvation. This was the work that Jesus had accomplished. The work of our salvation was now done, and the mission was accomplished 
to perfection. And there would be darkness in the land for three hours. A darkness so thick that no one would see anything for three hours. Sin was being weighed upon and being paid for. And darkness had covered the land. And Jesus would determine his own time of death. And how he would give up his spirit to God. At the end of his last moments on the cross, there is a personal communication between a father and his son. The father who loved and trusted and obeyed his father completely his whole life. Never doubting his father's love for him. Never doubting it. And he obeyed him to perfection. And he says to his father these words in his last breath. He shouts out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus shouted these last words so that all who were there at the cross would hear these words. So that the whole world would hear these words and hear and know that Jesus had died. Had died on that cross. That his spirit had left him and that he had died. These words that Jesus speaks, they summarize for us who Jesus is. First, he's a loving, obedient son. He says, Father. In the Hebrew, it's Abba. Abba, Daddy. Daddy, I know that you are with me and I'm returning home. Jesus had obeyed all the commandments with the will and the purpose of his Father, and his Father was always with him. He was a loving and obedient son to the very end. He was a person of complete and perfect faith. He says, my life, my soul, my spirit is in your hands. I give it to you. I know that you're in control of my life, and I know that you will bring me home. Jesus was a fully human Savior who suffered and died, and he breathed his last breath on the cross. And in doing so, he shows that he is Lord of life. Jesus gave his life so that we may have life, both abundant here on earth and eternal in heaven, that we could have eternal life. Jesus gave his life to his last breath. Know this, no one took Jesus' life from him. He went to that cross because of love, and he gave up his own spirit in his time when the time was right. No one took it from him. He did it because he is the Lord of life. And he has victory over death. And that cross is the victory over death. Yes, he died on that cross. But in three days later, he would rise from the grave. Showing that he had victory over sin and over death. And showing that our sin was paid for on that cross. By his own price. Jesus said in several passages in the gospel, he says... I laid down my life and I will rise it up again. I am, the, I am raised from the death to life so that you can be raised from death to life. 
He who believes in me, even though he dies, shall live again. Jesus is the Lord of life who gave his life on the cross so that we may receive life with having Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, having life here on earth and life in eternity. For the cross has done its work and Jesus died. But that is not the end. That is not the end. For in three days, Jesus rises to life and is alive today. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord Jesus. We remember the cross. We know, Lord, what you endured. We remember what you endured. We were not there. We probably couldn't even fathom the pain that you endured for us. Willingly, lovingly going to the cross for us. Taking all of our sins upon your own body for us. Being forsaken by your Father for us. And then taking that last breath for us. And Lord, how grateful we are for that sacrifice and that payment so that we can have life with you. And Lord, how wonderful it is that you proved the work of the cross in three days' time when the stone was rolled away and you rose from the grave and you're alive today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. May you be blessed by the praises and the love of your people this day. We love you so much and we thank you for what you've done for us. Help us to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.